Um, but hey, I am Simon Stokes, and it's good to see you all tonight and be with you all. Uh, and I especially want to say thanks for being here with us if you're tuning in uh, through our live stream. Uh, but it's great to get to worship with you in person and get to experience God's presence and his love and the fellowship of uh, being with his people uh, and being with people who are looking for him and seeking him. Uh, I want to say, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're someone who's trying to figure out what it me- might mean to follow Christ uh, or you're curious about him or you're kind of wondering about him. I have not always been a Christian. I would love to uh, sit and talk with you, um, to ask you questions, to hear your questions and just have a conversation if you're willing uh, or if you're here and you know someone um, who would be willing to do that, um, I would love to talk with them as well. Um, I, we at RUF see so much of our role on campus as really being a part of the campus and being a, a place where people can ask questions and not know and even maybe have an axe to grind about Christianity uh, in a way that is not judgmental or mean or uh, throwing anything at you. Um, but really wanted to hear and invite you into a conversation with us. So if, if you're here and that's you, I'd love to talk. See me afterwards. Um, so this semester and this next year, we're going through, or I guess it is this next year, but this next spring, we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching on what it means to know God and live in God's kingdom. And it's his take on what it means to follow him, what it looks like, what it feels like, um, what it re- is required to do that. And so this is one of the most famous passages in all of uh, the Bible. It's one of the most commented on passages, one of the most taught on passages. Uh, And so we're diving into it because we want to know what it means to live with God, to know God, and to flourish in life with God, in community with God. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, So tonight I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to pray for us and we'll get started. This is Jesus speaking and teaching He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. It's given to us because it's true and it's good and he loves us. Um, let me pray for us and we'll start. Um, Jesus, I thank you uh, that you've given us this word. Um, Lord, that you really want us to know and wrestle deeply with what it means to follow you, um, to live in your kingdom and desire a kingdom that's better than the one that we see here in front of us. Um, God, I pray that as we look for these things, as we seek you out, um, Lord, we would not just find ourselves seeking, but we would find you seeking us. Uh, Lord, be with us tonight in this. Teach us by your spirit, and Lord, lead us into the way and the truth and the life. In your name we pray, amen. Um, so, so much of my job as a pastor is to just get together with you all and talk with you and hear what's going on. And, you know, I used to go out to eat with you uh, or go out and get coffee with you. I don't do that so much anymore now uh, because of the pandemic. But uh, mainly we go on walks or we grab coffee at the Battle House. Um, and as we sit down, I tend to like to settle in with some small talk uh, just to warm things up. And I'll ask y'all, <laughs> yeah, it's so smooth. And I'll ask y'all, like, you know, how are things going with class? 
how, how are things with the classes? Tell me. And uh, sometimes people will say things like, ah, I'm, you know, I'm really loving this class. It's so great. It's awesome. Uh, other times people will say things like, I'm really wrestling with this class. Like, I think, I honestly, I think I may not pass it. Uh, I never sign on to watch the Zoom call. I don't do any of the readings. Uh, I've never really talked to the professor at all. Uh, honestly, I'm not even sure that I know their name. Uh, everything is asynchronous, but I'm like way, way, way behind on that. Um, and honestly, I haven't even looked at the syllabus and then any of the readings. And I haven't really spent any time with this class. So, you know, it just doesn't feel very relevant to me. Uh, it doesn't feel like I'm getting very much out of it. And it's really maybe not worth my time. And, you know, if that's you, uh, you know, pass-fail is still an option uh, this semester. <laughs> but as, as people talk about classes sometimes in that way, and that's kind of a hyperbole, right? But as they talk about classes sometimes in that way, I feel like I also hear you talk about the Bible in that way as well. Like, it's hard to read the Bible for some of us. Maybe for all of us on some level. I mean, it's hard to... Uh, to understand it, it's hard to not be bored with it. It's hard to uh, really like spend time in it. I mean, a, a lot of us struggle with the Bible. I mean, when you think about it, it's not just one book. It's 66 books strung together, most of it's story. Uh, some of it's poetry, which, you know, a lot of us don't really read that much poetry. There's legal codes, like do not ever eat the flesh of the rock badger. It feels very important uh, in some parts of the Bible. There's wisdom. Uh, there's apocalyptic literature within it, uh, which we don't really have a genre for that anymore. There's Jesus biography. There's letters to churches. And there's everyone's favorite, the genealogies, right? And you struggle to read it because it's boring to you. It's not as exciting as maybe a clip on YouTube. It's hard to understand. Uh, you feel like you don't know how to do it right, but you also get the sense that you aren't doing it right. You're not sure what you're supposed to be getting out of it. Some of you understand it as you read it, and you don't like what it says. Uh, you don't like its take on gender or sexuality. You think it's problematic to you that you know, God judges people. To a lot of people, it feels like this outdated, oppressive authority. Uh, John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, he said this one time. He said, we're living in a generation-wide breakdown of trust in the Bible where younger people increasingly see the Bible as an obstacle to faith rather than an aid to faith. Do you relate to that at all? Like, this is not just a you thing, this wrestling with authority. This is, this is a broader cultural thing, right? Like traditional cultures have said that you've got to have an authority outside of yourself to find meaning and identity. That you need a guide to get you beyond yourself to take you to where you need to go. But our culture has said that you don't need an outside authority to find your bliss. Just look inside. It's all there. And so to listen to this outside of authority can feel like you're going against the grain of everything you're hearing. And this question of authority and trust is a big one right now for, for us, isn't it? Like, again, like kind of a meta-culture thing, but, I mean, you've got Russian hackers. You've got your QAnon conspiracy theories. You've got your fake news. It can feel like I don't know who to trust out there. But I also don't think that when I look inside of me and try to find my bliss that I have exactly got what I need to get where I, I need to go. I mean, it can be hard to trust the Bible, and if we're honest, it can be hard to know who or what to trust in general. And so then you can come to a place like this and think, man, Jesus is great. I love Jesus. He seems like a cool guy. But the Bible, oh, I'm going to pass on it. 
The problem is that's not how Jesus sees it. And so we're going to have to to have the blessed life that he's offering. We have to actually allow ourselves to be guided by him here as well. So if you've ever wondered what Jesus' take on the Bible is, well, tonight we're going to talk about it. Uh, So I normally do points. I'm not going to do points tonight. I'm just going to go through this line by line and talk about each point. So he says this, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Look, the law and the prophets is shorthand for what we call the Old Testament. The law is the first five books of the Bible. The prophets, pretty much everything that follows after that. And so picture the scene that's here. Like Jesus is surrounded by all types of people. Uh, and, you know, there's liberal people, conservative people for his day and age. He would not map on any American two-party system in any kind of way. Uh, but the expectations of the liberal people that are there would be, you know, Jesus is, you know, this new radical guy. He's the most woke dude in the place. He's going to burn it all down. Let's start it over. Like, we're going to boot out the Romans. We're going to boot out the Pharisees. And Jesus is telling those guys no, right? He's saying, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Put away the gasoline and the matches. Uh, we're not burning anything down. But then... The expectations of the conservatives that are around him are that he's going to take their understanding of the scriptures and he's going to affirm that. And he's going to take that and he's going to just amplify it. And the way that they're going to uh, be taught is that everyone will just be told, you know, just follow the Bible harder and we'll make Israel great. And he also doesn't do that. He says, I haven't come to abolish law, but I have come to fulfill the law, which is insane. He's saying every little story, every detail of every little thing, it's all about me. Like the law is about me. And I've come to the answer, like the big, big issue of what is the Old Testament about? Right? Like one of these guys thought he was going to zig. The other one thought he was going to zag. He does this third thing, maybe zogging. I don't know. But... These are the words of someone who knows exactly what their purpose is. He's totally unassuming without any sort of pretensions, yet he's also speaking with this incredible authority. I mean, it's hard when you think about the Bible to understate the importance of how the Jewish people thought about it. I mean, it's the revelation of God's character in the world. It's how he feels and thinks about what the good life is. It's his purposes for their people. It's their purposes for the world. It was so seen as revealing his inner person that when people asked the rabbis of the day, you know, what is God doing in heaven? They would routinely respond, reading the Bible. And Jesus is saying the meaning and the intention of that revelation of God is me. The Bible cannot be fully understood unless you look beyond it to its fulfillment in Jesus. I mean, the story of the Old Testament is just one of just there's these hanging questions, these hanging issues in it. It's kind of like um, when you watch Avengers Infinity War and like Thor and Captain America and Iron Man and Black Widow are like fighting Thanos to try to keep the Infinity Stones away from him. And finally at the end, like they actually lose and he gets the Infinity Gems and he gets the gauntlet and he like snaps and like Peter Parker is like, Tony, Tony is like turning to dust and it's like just tearing your heart out and you're gutted. Or I was. Uh, <laughs> And that movie is so good on its own, but it really can't be fully understood or even fully enjoyed until its fulfillment comes in its sequel. And the sequel is where that needed resolution comes. And at the end of that, that's when Tony Stark gets the the gauntlet and he does his snap. And the story is completed. And it's so 
And it's so good. Look, Jesus resolves the Old Testament. He resolves the story of the Bible because you've got all these sacrifices, all these washings, all the things you can and can't eat, and none of them can really make you clean. You've got to do it over and over and over again. But he's the Lamb of God. And all those sacrifices are pointing to him. You've got this question, how is God going to bless the world through Israel? I mean, he makes this promise to Abraham in Genesis, and he says, I'm going to bless the world through you. And then Israel is just this total dumpster fire. And then Jesus steps onto the scene, and he is the true and greater everything. He's the second Adam. He's the greater Moses. He's greater David's, he's great David's greater son. He's the true Israel. The purposes of God, God's character, his heart, his mission for the world come together in the person and the work of Jesus. He's so aligned with God and his word that he's called the word made flesh. And as Sally Lloyd-Jones says in her awesome Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name. Right? That's Jesus' take on the Bible. So what should our take on the Bible be then if we're going to listen to him and be guided into this full life that he's offering? He says, truly I say to you, listen up. I've got something really important to say. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is there's this reciprocal relationship between your standing in God's kingdom and your relationship to believing and trusting the Bible. He says, if we belittle the Bible, there's kind of a play on words here, then we will belittle in the kingdom. But if we practice God's word and teach others to do the same, if we think the Bible is great, then we will be great in the kingdom. Um, I read a biography a few years ago uh, about Thomas Jefferson. I don't know if you know this about him, but he uh, was not someone that thought of himself as a, a Christian, but he you know, lived around a lot of Christian stuff because of the day and age that he was in. And at one point, he created what's called the Jefferson Bible, which is where he took uh, a regular Bible and he took a razor and he cut out all the stuff from the Bible that he didn't like. So he took out the miracles, he took out uh, God's judgment stuff, he kept in the ethics, and he kept, uh, he kept in the God love stuff, right? And that can seem sort of extreme, but, you know, we can do the same thing with the Bible, I mean, I don't like its teaching on sexuality. See ya. Uh, I don't like that it tells me to take one day of the week and rest. Out of here. Uh, I don't like that it tells me that I have to not just tolerate, but actually love people who I think of as my enemies or the enemies of freedom and civilization. Zip. I mean, Augustine, who did not have a dog in the fight, he lived in the fourth century in Africa, said this. He said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, it's yourself. I mean, we can do the Jefferson Bible thing all the time with the Bible ourselves. And not even just cut it up physically, right? But the problem is, is that we know on some level that we need an authority that's outside of us to guide our lives. And you've seen this experience in your life. I mean, have you ever uh, done one of the student tours or prospective student tours at Carolina? There's like the student ambassadors who are there. And they guide uh, new students or, or prospective students around campus. Like, why do we have those people? Right? Like, I mean, you can find UNC with Google Maps. Why not let people discover the campus for themselves and empower them to wander around? And see if they can get into a freshman dorm or, you know, sit in on a great class. 
Why not just do that? Because if you'd get lost, right? I mean, you know the first day of class is hard enough. But you wouldn't get to the places where you'd want to go. Even if you saw them, you wouldn't know what was significant about them. Like you could walk by the Davy Poplar and unless someone told you what was important about it, it's just another big tree on campus, right? You need a guide. You need an authority to take you where you should go. And that's true for you and see, that's also true for your life, which is way more important. This is why Jesus is showing up and teaching his people in ways that sometimes push hard against us and against the things that we would maybe desire. But the thing is that no one who's very self-aware would think that everything that they desire is good or that if they follow every impulse of their desires, then it will lead their life to flourish. And you don't do that with food, right? With alcohol. You don't do that with uh, sleeping in late. Like if you want the good life, then you need to know Jesus. You need a guide to show you what's important, what's not important, who to listen to, how to get around this place. And when it comes to the issue of authority, you really can't serve two masters here. You can't follow both Jesus and radical individualism. You can't follow Jesus but also do your own thing with power or money or ambition or sex. Because the problem is it's never really your thing that you're following. It's always someone else's thing that you've adopted as your own, right? Like your desires and your sense of what a good life is get shaped by your parents' voices, get shaped by the voice of the culture, by your phones, by movies, by the voices of celebrities, right? And if you've ever seen the Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma, that has ever taught you anything, it's that we live in a world where someone is always watching what you do online, feeding you ads, shaping what you see, giving you likes and clicks, and guiding you deeper into their silo of what they think the good life is, which is generally using you to increase their popularity and make money. But as the true king of creation, Jesus comes to disarm all these other lesser authorities of the world. Like he deconstructs lots of things to build his kingdom. He shreds oppressive structures like racism, misogyny, radical individualism. He does the same thing with us in our lives. And his promise is that only by losing your life will you find your life. This is why Jesus can say things like, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. Because this is good, kind authority that leads to more freedom. To listen to Jesus through the word is to find the authority that loves you and gives his life to you and for you. Look, all the other authorities in your life are going to squeeze you for money or time or likes. You're anxious and you're afraid because you're getting squeezed by these voices that are making demands on you but not giving you life. Not shaping you in the way that it was meant to be shaped. But only Jesus is an authority who stands over you and yet goes below you in order to give his life to you and to bring you in to the true freedom that you were made to have. And I see this in your lives all the time. I, I had a student a few years ago. She's graduated. But she grew up in a place where she didn't hear a lot of the Bible, didn't hear a lot of Bible teaching, um, which is great. I mean, we love that those people come. But that was just kind of her background. And she grew up in this place, and she starts coming to RUF. And she told me years later after this had happened with her, but she would come, and she said that every time she came and we opened up the Bible and we talked about the Bible, it felt like she was being poked. And poked and poked and poked and poked. And she said that at first it was like so kind of annoying and would get under her skin and she didn't like it. It was like pushing her. It was shoving her. But over time she found that she wasn't being poked in order to be hurt. That she was being poked in order to wake up. 
and in order to enter into the life that God made for her with him and for his people. And maybe that's you here tonight as well. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what does that mean? Look, Jesus isn't saying that unless you outmoral the morality police, you have no part with him. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that what you've got to do is you've got to go beyond the surface stuff. The externals. Like, I'll, I'll do some religious stuff, and I can do these other things on my own in the background. And, you know, I, get, I give that stuff to God, and I get this for me. He says, you've got to go to the one that whom the law is pointing. You've got to go beyond uh, the surface level action, because I want your heart. I want every part of you. Not to control you, not to dominate you, not to oppress you, but to love you and to set you free. This is why the next section of this sermon is all about the deeper levels of the heart, like anger, lust, retaliation against enemies, oaths. Because Jesus cares about what's inside of you and not just what you're doing on the outside. Look, the Bible isn't standing over you like this hammer ready to smash you. It's like this red carpet that's inviting you into a good life lived before God and other people. And Jesus is saying you've got to follow that in order to get the life and the kingdom that you long for. Look, the reality for all of you is that we're surrounded by voices all around us. On the outside calling for attention. On the inside swaying us in how to go. And the real question for you is what is the true voice? Like, what's the voice that's going to determine who you are, how you live, how you make decisions, what is and isn't a good life? And just cards on the table, if it hasn't been clear enough yet, we want it to be Jesus' voice. That doesn't mean we don't have questions about the Bible. It doesn't mean there aren't things that we debate, or there aren't tough things that we don't understand. It doesn't mean there isn't a place for critical scholarship. There definitely is. But the goal of, the, of trusting the Bible is not just information, though you do need to know some stuff, but it's transformation. It's to be changed by Him. The transformation comes through the Word of God. It's by God's Word that the universe was created. It's by that Word made flesh that was redeemed. And you can't step outside of that Word and have life. You can't step outside of that and really love your neighbor. This is why we look at the Bible in settings like this. This is why we study in our community groups. This is why we learn to pray it together in our community prayer. So that God can do something in our lives. He can change us, transform us. He can reawaken our excitement and renew who we are. Maybe for the first time. Look, what we most need to see is God's desire for us to be with him, to follow him, to know him. And to be changed by him. To be set free from all these other oppressive voices. And to be set free to actually live as his sons and his daughters. Look, I'm going to say this is a semi-authority in your life. But you actually need to spend time reading the Bible if you're going to be transformed by the Bible. Can I just suggest this? Go to bed at a reasonable time, say 11 p.m. Wake up at 7, 7.30 when you do, don't touch your phone. Don't look at your text or Instagram or Twitter. But if you're a coffee person, get up and make some coffee. And then sit down and read a chapter of the gospel. Or read one of a chapter of a letter to a church. And then read a psalm and pray about your day or pray about your friends or pray about your family. 
Or you don't have to say anything out loud in your heart or out loud with your mouth, but you can just sit and quietly be with the Lord. But do that for you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes a day. And over time, the Bible will not just be this class that you know you should be taking, but you don't really take it because it's hard. It'll be a source of transformation and change and an avenue into the good life that God has for you. And that will not be giving the first few minutes of your day to the Lord as a sacrifice, though he could demand that. But as the acceptance of an invitation to know God, to find your life in following God. So I want to end with this. Um, if you haven't read C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, y'all, we have three months of a break coming up. You should totally do that. Um, there's One of his books is called Prince Caspian. It's so good. It's one of my favorites. Uh, but the setting is, you know, the enchanted world of Narnia. And Aslan is like this Christ figure. He's a lion. And there's four main characters, Peter, Susan, Edmund, Lucy. There's also a dwarf that's along on the ride. And they're on this journey, but they don't really know how to get to where they're going. And they're constantly coming to these kind of decision po- points on the road. Like, do we go left? Do we go right? They have this general sense of where they should go. But there's all these other decisions they've got to get to as, they, as they're getting to that final goal. And at one point, they kind of finally get to this place where they feel sort of lost. And they can either go up a mountain, which looks way more difficult and inconvenient, or they could go down this gorge, which looks way more easy and way more convenient. And everyone's impulse, of course, is to go down the convenient way. But as they're trying to stand there and make this decision, Lucy, the youngest one, she looks up and she sees Aslan, this Christ figure, up the harder, more difficult mountain. And he's summoning her to come and lead the others with her upward. But in the end, the stronger opinions went out and she ignores Aslan. But as it turns out, the way that they go when they go down this gorge ends up to be this dead end and they have to go back around and is exhausted. And they make camp and they settle in for the night really almost to the place where they started. But while everyone is asleep, Lucy is awakened by the voice of Aslan. And she goes to him and he asks her, what happened? She says, you know, I tried to tell the others, but they just wouldn't listen and he doesn't buy it. And she simply meets eyes with Aslan and says, I know. I know I don't need to blame the, other, the others. And then there's this really tender but powerful moment where he says, you saw me and you heard me, did you not? And do you not realize that if you follow me, you'll never be alone? And for the remainder of the journey, Lucy continues to follow him even when it's inconvenient or they don't want to go that way. And initially, he's kind of difficult to see and hear, but every time she follows him, he becomes clearer and brighter and easier to see, easier to notice. And along the way, the others start to see him too. They begin to see him. They begin to hear him. And as they follow him, they start to experience more of him as well. And what that is, it's this beautiful picture of life with Jesus where the Bible brings us into this intimate, living, dynamic relationship with the Lord where we learn to see him clear and clear with every step of obedience along the way. And the reason we take and obey the scriptures so seriously is to be with Jesus and to find true and abundant life with him. Knowing that every act of obedience leads to this clearer vision of him and a deeper experience of his kingdom. And so that's our invitation to you tonight. To know God through his word. 
to be shaped by that word and transformed by that word and to see him, to live with him, and to find an abundant life with him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you.